0: Welcome to Sisterhood. I have been enjoying this this study on James. We are in Lesson 4. We are going to be in Chapter 2, verses 14 through 26 this week. And I kind of feel like James is a little bit of a Christian boot camp. Like he gives us a little kick and he's like, come on, you got this. This is a little crash course on discipleship. And it's really everyday practical stuff that we need to know. He doesn't beat around the bush. He tells us how to do and what to do. And then it's just our responsibility to go out and live it. And so as we dig into chapter 2 today, some of you in your Bible, I'm sure it's titled Faith and Deeds. Maybe it says faith and works or faith without works is dead, but it's going to be something like that. And, and believe it or not, I do, I do get asked the question from time to time, what about works? what about works? Like, don't we need to do something for this? And it's usually when I'm telling someone about the saving love of Jesus Christ and I get to the end and I say, do you want to receive this free gift? And they're like, free gift? Really? And I'm like, no, no, really. It is, it is a free gift. You just have to believe. But I think we've been taught so many times that there's something that we need to do or we feel like we need to earn it. And no, it is a free gift, and that's what we're going to learn about today. But then James says, is there more after the free gift? Is there something more after the free gift? See, because we can't just talk the talk. We have to learn to walk the walk as well. And I think right now, sometimes in the American church, there's a temptation to be what I'm going to call a passive believer or a passive member because it's really easy to come to church on the weekends and smile and greet people and shake their hands and do whatever they ask us to do and then leave and get in our car and drive away and do nothing and then come back on Sunday and do the same thing over and again and and not put a meaning to it. And I would call that low-impact faith. See, low-impact faith says, I have faith in Jesus, but I don't have enough faith to surrender to him. Low-impact says, yeah, I'll join a church, but I might not have enough to forgive those around me. Low impact says, I'll go to church on the weekends, but I might not have enough faith to live it out during the week. That's what I would call low impact. So then on the opposite hand, high impact would mean what? High impact would mean we would act on it. We would influence those around us. We would challenge those around us. We would encourage those around us. High impact makes a difference in your life and those around you. And if you don't remember anything else from my message while you're still listening right now, I'm going to give you one line. And I'm going to say it over and over today. My belief should change my behavior. My belief should change my behavior. I'm going to pray over this message before we go any farther. But Lord, I pray that this word would be anointed to do what it needs to do, to accomplish what it needs to accomplish. Lord, I pray that you would just have your way in this room. Have your way, Lord, in Jesus' name, we pray amen amen, okay, so if we 're going to talk about faith let 's first talk about what faith is. It says in hebrews eleven one now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, so simply put, that means trusting in something you can 't explicitly prove. Pastor Rob, a couple weeks ago, he was talking about faith, and he said a great definition, and so I want to reread it for you. It says, faith, having trust and confidence in God, knowing that he will be true to his word, based on our own personal experience and from recorded examples in the Bible. Then he followed that up, and he said, hey, faith could be spelled R-I-S-K, meaning it might not always be convenient, and it might not always be fun, and it might not always be easy. And in fact, there might be a sacrifice that comes with it. But if I have said that I have faith and I need to have an action that follows it, even if I don't know the end result. See, when I have faith in him, when I trust in him, that in turn will change how I live and what I do. We have the honor and the privilege of working verse by verse in James. So grab your Bibles, your notes, your pens, your highlighters, whatever you want to do to mark up. And we are going to start in verse 14 and we are going to work our way through verse 26. So verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In another translation, it says, What does it profit, brethren? Okay, I see two questions there. Two question marks, that makes sense, right? What good is it to have faith but no works? The second question, can faith like that save them? Before we answer those questions, two other things I want you to know about this section of this passage. See, I think it's important to understand what James is saying and what he isn't saying. James isn't saying that you can be saved by doing righteous things. He's not saying that. He's not saying that good things will earn us our way to heaven. He isn't saying you can earn your way to heaven. See, some people, I think, read this portion of the Bible of James, and they get stumbled on the works because they start comparing it to what Paul previously said. And... And someone told me one time, hey, Emily, when you read the Bible and you want to understand it, you need to use the 20-20 rule, meaning you need to go back 20 verses and then you need to go ahead 20 verses so that you have the complete context. Makes sense, doesn't it? If you guys send me an email and I just take a line out or I take a paragraph out, it's going to mean something completely different than you probably intended it for it to mean. And so that's what we're going to do with James. You have to go back and you have to read the before and you have to read the after. And actually, I went back to the Old Testament to completely understand where James is coming from when he teaches that. And that's what we're going to unpack today. See, here's the tension between Paul and James. Paul taught that we earn salvation by grace through faith. It says that in his writing. Follow along in Galatians 2.16. We know full well that we don't receive God's perfect righteousness as a reward for keeping the law, but by the faith of Jesus. His faithfulness, not ours, has saved us, and we have received God's perfect righteousness. Now we know that God accepts no one by the keeping of religious laws. He's like, hey, you want to go to heaven when you die? It's not earning your way there. It's believing in Jesus Christ. Paul says, we've been justified by faith, not the work of the law. Paul left no wiggle room there. He says, well, maybe if you're really good, no, no, no. He's like, no, it doesn't matter if you're good. You need to believe in Jesus Christ. There's no way of earning our way there. So it's here that people are saying, "Case okay, so no, now is James saying the opposite of what Paul's saying? Is James saying that it is by works? No, James James isn't saying that Christ's sacrifice isn't enough and you have to work your way to heaven. James believes the same thing that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus went to the cross, crucified, nailed to the cross so that we could be crucified in him. James believed that. But then James is saying, hey, 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 if you truly believe, if you have true, authentic faith and you believe what you're saying when you say Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, isn't there something that should prove it then? Isn't there something that should follow it? See, your belief should change your behavior. Why? Because in 2 Corinthians it says that therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation is, is, is to come, right? The old is gone, the new has come. There's going to be evidence that you're new, I would say this. I would say salvation can be invisible, right? I can't walk up to you and go, wow, looks like you accepted Jesus today in church. I can tell your heart's completely new by looking at you. No, it's not really like that. How can I tell? Because your behavior has changed when you believe. There's something that follows that faith. That's how I can see it's changed. So it would be almost like saying, hey, Paul, when Paul talks about that, he's talking about the root. James talking about the fruit. There's two things. It's a both and. It goes together. Your actions should follow your faith. Your beliefs should change your behavior. And see, it's also important to know that when Paul was teaching, when he was teaching about that, he was teaching to a bunch of legalists in Galatia, and so Paul's emphasizing, hey, you can't earn your salvation. They needed to hear that. James, James is teaching to a group of people that they have a great understanding that Jesus paid it all. And so his, he almost had to go to the other side of the pendulum because they were saying, hey, since, since Jesus has grace and since Jesus already paid my bill, it doesn't really matter how I live, right? I can just say I believe in God and remain in my sin and I can really get the best of both worlds. And I would say if I put it in today's terms, it would be like this. It would be like James is talking to the people that go out during the week or go out on the weekends and do whatever they want to do. And then they show up on Sunday because they feel like, ah, if I come to church, I'm forgiven. And then they go out and they continue to live the same way. And there isn't a change in their behavior, but they're like, mm, grace covers it all. See what I'm saying? So, so that was Paul's audience. So that's where his teaching comes from. See, it's not enough just to go to church. It's not even enough just to go to sisterhood. That's not God's highest calling for us to go to a destination. See what he wants? He wants us to go to the destination so that we can learn about him. And then through his faith, we go out and we go display our faith in actions. We're missing out if we miss that. So, so James is, is basically saying, hey, yeah, you can sure, you sure you can say you have all the faith you want. But if you're not experiencing a change in your behavior, then do you need to go back and examine your heart? Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, it is, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, hey, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. Here he's saying, yeah. There's no way to show our faith to others if it doesn't change our actions. What's the Bible say? That they will know we are Christians by our love. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we don't have any change in our lives, low impact, ladies. That's called low impact faith. High impact faith says we, we trust him and there's gonna be, it's going to result in changed behavior. I want high impact impact. I mean, I could tell you story after story of things in my life that I used to struggle with that I do not struggle with anymore. Why? Because I have had a change of heart, and it in turn has changed my behavior. Verse 19, you say you have faith, for you believe there there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in fear. Okay, what's James saying? Hey, it's not enough just to know. Even the demons know this. Just because you believe in God and fear God doesn't mean that you trust him. What sets us apart from the demons? We love God. They don't love God. We love God. And so it's out of our love for him that we do things, that we show our fruit. Verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Useless. It could be dead again there. He used it in verse 17. He uses it in 20. He's going to use it again in 26. Pay attention, that means. Three times. Useless can mean unprofitable, unemployed. To say you have faith and no works is unprofitable. It's not bringing anything good into your life. It's not true faith. True faith changes things. True faith brings good things. It brings good fruit. See, works it empowers and it energizes our faith. It's almost as James is saying, yeah, you don't think works matters. Let me give you two examples where I can show you that faith and works coupled together completely change somebody. And then he mentions Abraham, the father of faith, and Rahab, the prostitute, turned into a princess. Look at verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar Okay, here we need to know that sometimes one word can mean two different things. The word justify can mean to make right. So when a judge hears a case and declares the person to be innocent, he has justified them. He has declared them right. Justify can also mean to prove what is right. Okay, so if I state my opinion and someone says, hey, can you justify that? They're not asking me to make it right. They're saying, can you prove that this statement is right? the teachings we read earlier from Paul ladies he's using that first definition so when paul says we are justified by faith we believe that god justifies and declares us right that's the root of salvation then james uses the word justify here in that second definition according to the second definition it says but god is proving or showing what was already there so you had faith but your works show us the faith that's already there that's the fruits James is saying Abraham, when he says this, he said Abraham was justified. He was made right with God when he believed. But then he followed it up with his action. He proved he believed by what he did. He acted on it. Verse 22. Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? Okay, the word perfect there means mature. Our faith, our relationship with God, it matures. It grows. It develops as we live in obedience to him. Works helps keep your faith alive. For Abraham, it took a long time for his faith to mature, to grow, to develop. He had times when he doubted God. I agree. I do too, Abraham. I get it. I'm still maturing. But that doesn't mean we quit. That doesn't mean we don't act. That doesn't mean we don't step out in faith. Abraham kept acting on it. Verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. He was called God's friend. Do you know what we do for friends? We show them our love in our actions. Someone brought me tea this morning because they're my friend. Not because they had to, because they got to. They said, can I bring you tea? Abraham's like, God, I love you enough that I'm going to prove to you that I love you. I'm going to act on it. It'd be like saying, Emily, do you believe that this that this chair can hold your weight? Yeah, I believe this chair can hold my weight. Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, I really I really do. I really do believe that chair could hold my weight. And I could talk about it all day long, but until I actually do something about it, you're like, does she really believe? Because she's not sitting in it, so are you sure? Are you sure? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I totally believe that chair can hold my weight, okay? I, could, I, I would try to talk you into it, but what shows it more is my action. Oh, yeah, she does believe that. She believes that chair can hold her weight. Do you believe To trust God for the end result, even when you don't see it? Can you step out in faith, even when you don't know the end result? Can you say, God, I trust you, even though right now it doesn't look like it? I don't know what's going to happen, God, but I'll trust you. I'll step out. I'll do it. God asked Abraham to take his son to the altar. If you know the story, it's back in Genesis. Abraham has waited years for this son. And then he finally gets it. And he has his son. And can you imagine if you've waited for a child, what that excitement brings, and how thrilled you are that you finally have a baby that you've prayed for, and that you've waited and you felt like God promised you. And then God comes to you and says, Hey, now would you take that child? And will you take him up the mountain? And will you sacrifice him on the altar? I would be looking at him like, Are you kidding me? I prayed and I waited. But you know what the Bible says Abraham did? It says early the next morning, immediately he took Isaac and he started going up the mountain. Immediately he obeyed. Why? Because he trusted God. He didn't know what the end result is. If you read on in the Bible, it says that, yes, God provided a ram and he didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. But Abraham didn't know that in the moment as he's walking up the, up the mountain preparing to sacrifice his own son. See, sometimes God asks us to walk up a mountain and we don't know the end result. But do we trust him enough to go there just because he is who he is? And then and then the people that, that James is talking to are like, Yeah, well that's Abraham. Because in their times, Abraham would be like in American times, if we put Thomas Jefferson, Abe Lincoln, and George Washington all together and one person and said, hey, I would really like you to mirror uh, their personality and just have faith like them and do what they did. And you're like... That's totally impossible. They're like the father of the land, and they did absolutely amazing things. And that's how the people are thinking. So Abraham knows this. I love, I'm sorry, James knows this. I love that James is so creative in his writing that he he knows what they're going to think. And so he knows that they're already thinking, yeah, James, whatever. Abraham is the hero of faith. Easy for him to take his son up the mountain and to trust God with the end results. So then James says, okay, what about this one? What about Rahab? She was a prostitute. I don't know. I, I maybe haven't done that, but I've done things that I could be with Rahab in the same house as her. And then James gives him an example of Rahab the prostitute in verse 25. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Ram was a woman. She was a prostitute. She was completely opposite of Abraham. But James says even Rahab was justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. So I don't know. We don't know why the Bible picked Rahab, right? We're not sure why they picked Rahab to hide them. But it does tell us that Rahab believed. She trusted in God's power and mercy. She hid the spies even when she didn't fully understand. Do you understand? She could have been executed as a traitor when she hid them. It wasn't an easy decision. It involved some R-I-S-K, if you know what I mean. And then the spies gave her a scarlet robe, and they said, Hey, when the battle comes, you go ahead and you hang this scarlet robe out your window. And that will show us, hey, we can't destroy that house when the rest of Jericho gets destroyed. So to prove that she believed, what does she do? She trusts God. She puts that scarlet robe out her window. That faith saved her and her family. And if God can use a sinful woman like Rahab, he can use any single woman in this room or who is listening to this message or who reads this scripture. He can use anyone to fulfill his perfect purpose. See, he cares about everyone, regardless of our journey. Everyone. You know what that means? That means he doesn't care what you did last night. He doesn't care what you did last week. He doesn't care what you did last month or, or years ago. If you're willing, he will use you. If you're willing. And if there's anything in your mind that thinks, yeah, I'm not like whoever's sitting next to me, or I'm not, stop, stop. It's not from God. No, he wants to use you to fulfill his purposes. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're not going to fall down, but it means you're going to get back up and you're going to do your best. Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So James repeat, say, hey, our faith without works is dead. Not sick, not dying, dead, useless. Our faith cannot be separated from our works. Faith alone saves, but faith is never alone. Faith is the root, and the works is the fruit. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago, I was on a bus. And we were in Colorado, we had just flown into Denver, I was with my whole family, and we jumped out of the airport, and we jumped on the bus to go get our rental car, and I saw this woman sitting across from me, and she had tears running down her face as she's looking at her phone, and I'm ashamed to say this, but it's true, I don't know if you've ever done this, I almost didn't want to look, because if I looked and I saw, I knew I'd have to do something, I knew God was going to ask me to do something, so I pretended like I didn't see And I just kept looking away, and then I just like kind of do one of those. I'm like, oh, she's still crying. Finally, God's like, go pray for her. Get up and go pray for her. The next time I looked, she had just opened up her phone. Clearly, she saw something terrifying, and she's crying harder now. So I just got up, and I went and sat down next to her, and I grabbed her hands. I said, can I pray for you? and it took about three seconds and she just burst out into even bigger tears. She couldn't get it out and I said, that's okay, it doesn't matter. I just want you to know that God sent me here to tell you that he sees you, that he knows, that he cares for you, that you matter to him, that whatever you're praying for right now, he knows and he hears it. And then she got out that she was on her way to see her nephew who was in an accident and he was lying on his bed and his family was waiting for him to be taken to heaven. So we prayed for her nephew. I didn't have to know the end result. I just had to trust God in the moment. What if, what if someone somewhere was praying that God would send somebody to her to comfort her on the bus so she didn't have to sit there alone? Have you ever thought of that you could be the answer to someone's prayer when you're obedient? We don't have to know the end result. It was my stop. Next stop, I said bye, and I jumped off. I have no idea what happened to that woman on the bus that I prayed for. I don't have to know. God knows. I trust him enough that I will step out in obedience, and I'll trust him with the end results. Several years ago, the Lord spoke real clearly to Mark and I that we were never to walk by a homeless person without doing something for them. I argued in my mind. In fact, I argued out loud with Mark even, like, Mark, this seems like such a waste of money. What if we give them money and they go spend it on drugs or alcohol or something that's not good? And God convicted us right there super quick. That's not for you to worry about. I have asked you to take care of what you see in front of you. I will take care of the rest. See, I just have to be obedient and step out and ask and do what he asked me and he'll take care. I don't have to know the end result. just says Abraham didn't have to know the end result as he was walking up the mountain. It's not always easy, and it's not always convenient because hardly do I ever carry cash, and I usually don't have food, at least that's edible for other people in my van. And so, I mean, I'm sure I could find a meal somewhere. But I was driving by this man, and he was sitting on the side of the road, and I didn't have any money, and I didn't have food, but I saw there was a McDonald's, and I had a credit card. So I went over, and I got him a meal, and and I brought it to him. And I handed it to him, and I was so excited to give it to him. I looked him in the eye, and I said, Jesus loves you. And he looks in the bag, and he says, I don't even like this. That's okay. That's not for me to worry about. God's going to take care of the end result. Another time, I pulled up to a stoplight, and there was this man standing next to me with a sign again, no food, no money. I looked in my back seat to double check, and I saw this box of pink shoes that I was supposed to return a couple days ago from one of my girls, God said, grab the box. So I grabbed the box. I opened up my window, and I looked at him. I'm like, sorry, this is all I got. And I hand it to him, and I said, Jesus loves you. And he opens the box, and he says, it's perfect. I don't know. Maybe he had a little daughter at home. I don't know. That's not for me to worry about. I just do what God asks, and God takes care of the rest. I had a missionary friend that was serving in France for a while, and she was on a public transportation bus, and She was standing there, and she could see at the other end of the bus, there was a a Muslim woman that was in a a job and um, really quiet, wasn't doing anything. And and God told my friend, he said, you need to go pray for her in your prayer language. And for those of you that don't know, prayer language is is speaking in tongues. And so um, you can imagine that that sounded like an absolutely ridiculous request because you're like, I only do that in the quiet of my bedroom, not to a stranger. And God told her three times, you need to go do that. So she said, I'm not getting off this bus before I go do that. And she walks up to this gal, and she says, hey, can I, can I pray for you? I feel like God told me to come and pray for you. And the girl said, yeah, that's fine. And my friend begins praying in her prayer language, and she closes her eyes, and she prays for this girl. And when she's done praying, she opens up her eyes, and she looks at the girl, and the girl's weeping. And the Muslim girl looked at my friend, and she said, how did you know My sister was sick, and I didn't know you spoke in Arabic. And my friend said, I didn't, and I don't. But God did. And can I tell you that God told me to come and pray for you? He knows you. He sees you. We don't know the end result, but my friend could have changed that gal's eternity on a bus because she obeyed. See, faith says that I'll step out and I'll do, God, whatever you ask me to do, regardless if I know the end or not. We don't have to know the end. All we have to do is be obedient. We don't always know what's on the other side of our obedience. I often ask myself this question, and when I say often, I mean often. And and if you go through any of my journals, I've written in my journal, and I've written that question, and then I've written what I felt like God want me to do. Here's the question. What am I doing with my life while millions wait to hear about the love of Jesus Christ? What am I doing with my life while millions wait to hear about the love of Jesus Christ? Low impact or high impact, ladies? We get to choose. Step out in faith, not step out in faith. We get to choose. Care about the end result, not care about the end result. We get to choose. Faith in Jesus said, regardless of what happens in the end, Jesus, I'm trusting you with my yes, with my yes, with my yes. And see, if, you, if you've done it before, you know that sometimes a lot of little yeses turn into a really big yes. It doesn't have to be a big yes right away. Just start. Just start. Just start somewhere. So, Lord, we thank you that we can trust you, Lord, that we don't have to see the end results. Lord, I pray for faith to rise up in every single person that just heard this message, Lord, that we can have faith like Abraham, that we can have faith like Rahab, Lord, that we can begin to say yes to the things that you ask us. Because, Lord, we don't have to know the end results. We don't have to know it. So, Lord, I pray that you would use us in ways that we never thought that we could be used to fulfill your purpose. And, Lord, I pray that we would begin to percolate and to think about the question, what am I doing with my life while millions wait to hear about Jesus Christ? Use us, Jesus. Use us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.